excited about this this agenda uh and we're gonna focus on three topics really and it's like the osi model and you'll probably see right off the bat that we didn't include some of the common uh things to think about when it comes from what you need from the 802.3 world for the 802.11 world and some of these things that we pinpoint and discuss in this conversation um, are very surprising uh, that, especially in my studies and in you know, preparing for the CWP certification that uh, Kelsey just mentioned. Uh, and also some things were like, okay, that's common knowledge, but it's good to, good to hear out loud. And I'm very interested in your comments and your feedback. And if you could, if, 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 if I can you know, visualize your network, what you're involved with, and you know, think about some of the things that maybe we we missed, or maybe some things that you might think are important, or you know, maybe not not so much as important. It'd be really interesting to 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 have that information on 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 the the back end of this this call when we have a Q and A, and then also uh, all the questions that you log, we we actually see, so we can you can respond after the fact. Uh, so a lot of us in wireless are either from the data side and have moved into wireless or are responsible for everything or uh you, you lucky few are just wi-fi guys uh, completely and it's like the old voice days in when there was voice over ip when the data guys learning voice and then the traditional voice guys learning data and all trying to figure out voice over ip it was like almost like a different language and if you have the luxury of, of working on all of these different environments, these infrastructure, you have a pretty good understanding. But if you've only worked in some spots, it might be, it might be very beneficial this presentation uh, to see some of the things that you might not have thought of that wireless actually needs from your, uh, from your wired counterparts. And so we're gonna do this from the, basically the OSI, we're gonna start at layer one, which is really just the actual wiring. And then we're going to move up the stack uh, from you know switching uh, all the way up to networking you know, all the way up to firewalls and all of that good stuff and then we're going to drop back down uh, to layer one again which we talk about actual power uh, requirements so let's get started here uh, so the first thing i want to talk about in our first topic and this is that trivia question which is a little surprising uh and when I think 20 years ago about physical physical cables, I'm like, well, that's a long time ago to say it out loud. But then when you think about the actual date, like, wow, that's not that that old. Uh, previous environments I've worked had really old cable, um, and it, it's this is a pretty interesting topic uh, of of conversation about you know, the the requirements for the cables. And especially with some of these new fizz that are coming out uh, in later generations and how much how much speed and how much data rate and even how much power they're going to be drawing uh, so it's a very interesting conversation and towards the end of this powerpoint i have a link to a really good uh seven signal webinar that was that was done that really goes into really detail about this and some things to look for and i just want to mention a couple of, of things here is that uh again you know, we're going to be talking about the actual cable and its, and its requirements, but also, you know, the, the use for, for plenium rated cabling. And this might be a, a, a no brainer for you guys. Uh, plenium is from the HVAC days. Uh, and it's actually not from our, 
not from our wireless governing board. It's actually from the building and safety. It's actually from the, the national, uh, I think it's the fire protection agency. And it's actually a code because it, if it catches fire, you want to reduce the fact that it's going to have chemical toxins in the air. And there's a big difference in that. And I won't go into the weeds with it, but there is a great presentation I just mentioned that, that goes pretty well into the weeds about you know, some of these things. And in this research, some of these cabling are a little bit stiffer. Uh, so there's some, some conversations about that. And one thing I did want to point uh, to note was right here with uh, plenium rated APs. Now, why would you need a rated AP like that? And it's if that AP is actually going into the rafters, right? If it's gonna be above the ceilings, well, it's gonna fall in those categories. So those are some of the, the two things that we need from the, the wired side. And let's talk about what we need from the 802.3 environment when it comes to, uh, I, I generalized it and said the network services, but again, depending on how how old school you are, you know, are you, you know, switch, route, frame, right? So we're, we're talking all of this. And I picked about, I've mentioned four, but if you count them all up, I think it's six and there's there's some more. And the first topic is, you know, the dynamic host connection protocol and, and DNS. Uh, we're gonna talk about what we need from firewall, ACL, and VLAN management. We're gonna talk about the seldom thought of, but always used uh, network time protocol. And then uh, RADIUS and uh, LDAP, what we're gonna need from these guys and we're gonna hit each one first. So I mentioned quite a bit here in, in DHCP, but I wanted to draw the attention to DNS. And you could argue that DNS is the Achilles heel of all of this, or it is the heart of all of this. And when I say all of this, I mean all IT infrastructure. If you've ever had connection but not had connection to a DNS server, we're lucky that it's not it, that it's a Boolean stop because everybody can't work. DNS is so critical to not only 802.3 devices and your endpoints, but also to obviously your stations. And DNS is thought of really as a simple protocol, and it is not. Uh, it's as it, it is thought of as something that's really you just do a type an IP address, bounce to a name, bada bing, bada boom, that's it. DNS has tons of options that can be set. And it, it is extremely valuable to the Wi-Fi side to understand how your vendors use DHCP and DNS for their, we'll call it the supplicant or for their AP devices or even or even their controller. Right, there are options in DNS and DHCP like set vendor IDs that when your device, when an AP boots up, if it can get to DNS, yay. But also it's gonna be looking for a certain option string. We saw this in voice over IP networks a long time ago, uh, but this is one of the things that is used for auto provisioning or for quick provisioning with devices. It's also very surprising how many applications are written in the code that will query DNS. Sometimes you would be like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does. DNS is very critical. And it's something that sometimes just overlooked because we always know that it's there. But again, from the wire design, I want you guys to think about if you're in a process of maybe moving controller types or APs, 
you know, looking at those data sheets and seeing how does this AP know to get to the controller? How does this AP know how to get to the cloud? The other topic in this discussion is DHCP. And I hit the basics here, right? So in your environment, uh, are you guys mobile, right? Uh, can somebody come and sit in an environment with hardwired in, unplug, go to a meeting, come back, right? Are those different DHCP scopes? If they're DH, different DHCP scopes, they're also different uh, network uh, ranges. If there are different network ranges, that means it's a different VLAN. If it's a different VLAN, it means it's a different ACL, right? So there, there's a lot of thought in how that DHCP lease is set up. And I can only speak to what I what I know, and I just know IPv4. I didn't do a lot of IPv6 and still haven't, I'm still waiting for it. I do see it's out there, but we like to make our zones in those nice little slash 24 siders. And uh, that can get a little cumbersome, especially when we talk about Wi-Fi stations. And so one of the biggest issues with this is running out of IP addresses. And a lot of us in, in the wired and in, in, in infrastructure, when we set up our DHCP server, uh, we set all of the different zones uh, basically to have the same, the same timeouts, the same delays. My suggestion and a best practice that we've seen when it comes to clients, something that you might need from the wired network is to look at the lease times, right? Does your guest VLAN need to have a two week reservation, right? If somebody's just gonna be there for 15 minutes while they're waiting for something to happen, right? In, in Windows devices, it's always cached, the last IP address they got on the VLAN, so it will always request that IP. But is there really any need for your guest environment to have not just such a big cider? A lot of our, a lot of customers like to have that because you never know how many guests are coming in, but maybe shorten the lease times, right? Uh, something you might need from the wired environment. Same, completely different from the access. You know, your access devices are usually your corporate, your infrastructure devices, your client that are always there, the trusted environments. You're gonna want those lease pools and those times to be different than a guest. And then also I mentioned as another example, the voice over Wi-Fi devices. So these devices, you know, if they haven't, they're usually on their own SSID, which means they're on their own VLAN, which means they have their own scope. Uh, if they're not, you know, that's something that, you know, as a best practice, especially when it comes into authentication, especially when it comes into roaming, uh, that's something we can talk about here in a little bit more, more detailed. But in this presentation, I listed the options here for just one part of the DHCP process and one part for the DNS. And it really is fascinating uh, what you can, what you can accomplish by using all the different options that are set in DNS. And you'd be very surprised, uh, just like I am, about how the vendors actually use this to, to go about your day uh, and how, how you need to have that set up <clears throat> uh, in your environment. So let's move up the, we're moving up the stack. Yeah. Uh, let, yeah, I guess we're moving up the stack. Let's talk about ACLs, firewalls, and VLANs real quickly. So it is a no-brainer that if your wireless controller type is different, you're probably gonna need different firewall access lists, right? If you've got a controller-based Wi-Fi and you're in a secure environment and that's your inside, probably not a lot of stuff going out through DMZs or the internet. If you're cloud-based, again, that's a different story. You're gonna have to open up those, those, those ports. That's something you're gonna need uh, from the wired infrastructure. It won't, well, 
it shouldn't tax your your firewall. Uh, your firewall should be able to hand a stateful you know, transfer like that. Uh, but it's something to look at. And especially with a lot of IPS, IDS, we were talking about with WIPs, and then also a lot of monitoring, a lot of uh, reporting. You know, even east to west traffic or north to south, you might want to keep an eye on that to see how much data is actually going through. And we're not going to talk about bandwidth, uh, you know, upgrades until like the very the very end. But you know, it's it's always a question being asked and something to look at. And the one that gets me all the time, besides layer one, I always forget to plug something in. That that has been my my crux. Um, but in VLAN management, uh, setting the right VLAN. And again, rule of thumb, you shouldn't have you know, user, user traffic on VLAN one, right? It should be management. Uh, and also depending on how your controller is set up, right? If you're using a uh, centralized wireless LAN controller, or if you're having APs, you're using cloud, right? We're, we're doing split, uh, <clears throat> split Mac type assignments. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different on who does what with trunking. So it's something that from the wired world you want to you want to keep an eye on. And again, I, I, I address again the the voice Wi-Fi uh, wirelands as well, just because you know there might be some some things that we need we need to add there as well. So network time protocol, very very over underlooked. Uh, a, a great test case for you guys if you're have some time, feel free to run your Wireshark on your machine and change, take your time zone if Windows or Mac off of automatic settings and then set it back on again and then do a Wireshark search for NTP. Uh, it just shows a ton of communication going back and forth, trying to get that aligned. And again, there is secure NTP, you've got your local, you can make your own. Uh, to, to me as a best practice, it doesn't matter how you do it, it's just, it matters that your devices are showing the same time. And that's especially apparent in 802.11 uh, stations when the 802.3 are off. Uh, you can see very heavy sync issues uh, all the way up the stack when the devices are not in sync, right? Also authentication becomes a very big problem uh, if your Wi-Fi stations are not set to NTP or they are quite a bit off and to the supplicant or to the radius device, uh, you're going to have uh, authentication issues, even based on time, time or even security measures will, will kick in. And then obviously troubleshooting is, is almost next to impossible if your times are completely off, if you're you know, troubleshooting from, you know, say, a client server type application, uh, it's really good to have uh, that NTP connectivity and that and those things aligned, right? So that's that's what we're looking at from the the network services <clears throat> example. So let's move on to radius and and LDAP. So from the wired environment, and we're talking about what we need from the wireless. Uh, we need the same thing as somebody you know, that's hard coded in wireless or in wired. Uh, I, again, you'll see a theme with me uh, with a voice Wi-Fi device. Uh, sometimes, especially when it comes to roaming, you know, with peep and eat, uh, with the authentication process, uh, some of these devices might cause a lot of bit of consternation. Um, <clears throat> I did want to 
go back to an example with NCP. I just it just re reminded me. So I'll, I'll I'm, forgive me for skipping ahead. Uh, I have seen this as really pop up in my career in warehouses and in hospitals and manufacturing, where a device or a handheld, a picker that has a very long life cycle, uh, a rugged device, an IoT type device that uses Wi-Fi, uh, you know, has a seven year lifespan, has been used for 12 years. Don't laugh because they're, you know, we all have them. Uh, they get forgotten and sometimes they can get really off on their time and it doesn't show a boolean type fault it starts to show really weird application behavior and one of the easiest things to check is to look lo locate the time working with a customer a while back that they had their devices that were they were two to it's about two years off right just something happened where it just stopped during total time and then it just moved into it so it's one of the easiest things to check is to make sure just to check the local time uh, save a lot of headaches but back to, to radius <clears throat> uh, again with roaming and, and moving around with the with zebra type device or a Wi-Fi enabled device or something from healthcare, you know, where that radius device is physically and latent and, and from latent distance could really affect the actual device performance and the application, of course, that is above it. And it's really difficult sometimes to tell. So it's really good to have some good understanding of what your radius environment is. Uh, and again, based on how you set up radius a local 2080 or 8020 rule you know you're going to have to poke holes through firewalls acls what have you uh, but again we have noticed especially in my career at seven signal that and this is what we're looking at we're looking at all the different clients uh you know how it went through radius on one bssid at a certain point in time it can it makes a big difference sometimes on how everything else starts to cascade uh, of looking at that uh, that key performance of you know how the radius is and timing uh, really could make a, a a big difference for your Wi-Fi stations using the old or not the old the backbone uh, wired infrastructure. So that was a mouthful. Uh, let's go to our our last topic and let's talk about the actual back to layer one and let's talk about everybody's favorite power, right? So when we talk about power, though, we're talking about from the switch port, right? From the client uh, switch, right? The access layer switch, the PoE switch. Uh, the PoE switch is really turning into a, a powerhouse, and uh, there are quite a bit of devices that aren't even Wi-Fi that you know use that will draw from this device. Obviously, you know, VoIP phones. Uh, wired security cameras and then there's wireless and then there's uh <clears throat> wireless ap's right that are are connecting into it and and drawing power I, I wanted to mention that on the data sheets for every product they usually will say maximum power consumption and that is kind of like a theoretical like this device if it needed to at its most will draw this much power you can use that into your estimates if you're looking at planning or upgrading uh, managed switches especially enterprise class switches the cli commands and the ui has they've done a really great job over years of showing you what your power budget is uh, what's really interesting is uh, i'll give an example about wi-fi access points uh, about how much power they draw based on the radios uh, 
at another career several years ago, uh, I was working for a Wi-Fi vendor and we came out with a one of the first uh, triple radio uh, access points and it did uh, whips overlay and it did access 2.4 and, and five radio. And uh, it was new at that time. And these two power standards were uh, a, just just coming, just the new power standard was coming. But what we found is that the device, when using AF, uh, it wouldn't power all the way. It wouldn't work 100%. So product development had a, had a choice. Do we turn off WIPs or do we turn off access, right? And then how do we communicate that? And do we communicate that with basically an asterisk? So you look at a product sheet, which again, goes back to the spec sheets. You know, it says that this device can be powered by you know, 802.3.af, asterisk, right? But you know you need more power to to you know to to get this whole thing working. So having all of those different type of devices, and then knowing your your budget and your concurrent clients really factor into the draw. And we mentioned earlier in the, and through the, the the presentation about a really great practice or a great uh, best practice web series that was done. Uh, it was called POE in the future of AP. And uh, I have the hyperlink there. It's on our uh, YouTube channel uh, for Seven Signal, but it really goes into the, the weeds of, you know, what to look for, right? Um, and goes really into some of the newer power standards and uh, the challenges that that's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna become of it. So in summary, I mentioned basically three three topics which you could look at from a wired perspective. Uh, the actual cabling, uh, all the way to <clears throat> you know, the, the type of cabling that you need, especially coming down the line. We looked at some of the network services that you need from the 802.3 world, right? Uh, and some of them that you just, is a given, like DNS and DHCP and NCP, but Wi-Fi, really needs these three services, I could argue, you know, sometimes more critical than our, our wired counterparts, right? Everything that we do is in microseconds or nanoseconds, right? And having these connections and knowing how DHCP and DNS and, and NTP work, and then how our, our supplicants, our APs, uh, use this information just to even boot up, just to do the day-to-day -day based on the controller environment is really powerful. And then knowing if you don't have, you know, visibility or access, that's another team that's in charge of, you know, DHP, DNS, you know, just posing the question, you know, how, how do we have our DNS and DHP set up, right? Is there things that we can, we can do, you know, my device that I'm looking at, you know, I'm actually going to need this option turned on, right? I, um, you know, and if we, it, you, we might have to do some 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 movement with it. You know, that's a very difficult one to troubleshoot after the fact, as I'm sure some of you guys are uh, aware of. And then talking about the radius authentication, uh, ACLs and and VLANs. You know, that information is always uh, you're always going to need, obviously, that from the wired environment. Uh, we didn't get into a conversation about you know bandwidth requirements. Do we need to upgrade the pipe? Do we need to upgrade the core you know backbone to the access switch uh, for the new to the new uh, for the new FIS standards? 
do we need to, you know, up, you know, you can go down a path of saying, you know, maybe I need, you know, quite a bit more from my wired infrastructure because of these, you know, future coming. My thoughts are, you know, don't get caught up in that, in that trap. Uh, I, I believe uh, that, you know, one gig at the uh, AP is, is great and uh, should be great for, for quite a while. It's just that there are some things that you need from the wired side to help your Wi-Fi, you know, actually behave. And then also understand, you know, how the Wi-Fi environment actually, you know, goes and, and uses its backbone to, to get out and, and have your, your customers for, for a great experience. So I like to pause uh, for a second if, um, Jim, if there was anything you wanted to add and then I, would, I was gonna move to, to Q&A. Yeah, nice job, Chris. And uh, the only thing I'd add is, um, you know, fairly soon for Wi-Fi 6E to support six gigahertz radios um, that will have three 802.11ax radios that are all hungry for power. I think it it won't be long, but and and maybe even that first generation of Wi-Fi 6E access points will require 802.802.3BT, um, so the next generation of poe um, and that of course you know has a cascading effect on uh, the switches that you're running and the power that they require uh, just from the uh, the mains power in your building and if and then you know that has an effect on ups sizing for battery backups and so on and so forth so keep that in mind and and um, also check out the the devin aiken webinar that chris mentioned uh, because he gets he goes deep on some of those uh, you know forward-looking issues that are uh, uh, coming around the corner pretty fast. Jim, could you imagine uh, going to your boss and saying, "Hey, I'm uh, going to upgrade my my Wi-Fi APs," and they're like, "Great!" It's like I need a I need new new UPS batteries. <laughs> like, how do we go yeah. from there <laughs> to 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 there? Like, in, and in, I need 30 amp circuits in every IDF now. <laughs> You just it, it can really cascade and and turn into a much much larger uh, project than maybe anticipated at first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so some good questions uh, in here so far, Chris. Should we jump into some of those? Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna go ahead and stop sharing my screen. And yeah, yeah so I'm gonna absolutely. Yeah, let, let me just uh, bounce some of these off you and I'll, I'll jump in here too. Uh, good comment here from Anders. He says, always be careful about not using those thin CAT6, 6A patch cables when cabling oh. for APs or other equipment that's using more than 15 watts of PoE. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good comment. Those can certainly, you know, lead to problems if you're using a, if you're powering a device using a, a, a cable that's uh, not a heavy enough gauge can lead to heat buildup and all sorts of issues. And that can um, get even worse if those cables are bundled together. Um, could potentially be a, a fire hazard, actually. So good point there, Anders. Uh, comment for, from uh, 
friend of Seven Signals, Germain. Thanks for joining us, Germain. But he says, uh, MS Teams has a strong need for good DNS service. So, and of course we know, Chris, that if there's a, you know, a problem with your, uh, with your collaboration tool, that Wi-Fi is usually the, the first thing that gets blamed. <laughs> the very first, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Even though, you know what, the, as the old saying goes, it's always DNS. <laughs> um, and maybe one last question from Wayne. He says, how long will Cat5e be good enough? How long will Cat6 be good enough? Any thoughts there, Chris? That's a great question. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that goes back to your... Uh, your your point about uh, you know Wi-Fi six E right um, you know when when that starts to become that's that's one of those those conversations we have but for right now it's I I think it's you know it's 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 good enough right um, Jim or what what say you yeah a couple thoughts there um, if I was if I was doing new construction I wouldn't use Cat five E True. probably look at cat six or cat six a mm -hmm. but you know if you have cat 5e you can use um you know multi-gig uh ethernet protocols on it and get up to uh five gigabits per second mm -hmm. of uh of um throughput mm -hmm. um maybe not at the same distance as cat six so you know, there's still some life in those cables. Um, what the lifespan of Cat Six will be? Uh, wow, that's hard to say. That is hard to say. Yeah, I, mean, I don't see a, a. I don't see an end on the horizon for Cat Six anytime soon. But if yeah. anything, it really starts pushing it. It might be you know, uh, electrical requirements for PoE perhaps more than the need to support ethernet speeds greater than 10 gigabits per second. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. even now one gigabit per second is usually plenty for, for 99% of the, the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, having the ability to go to 10, that's a lot of future proofing there. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a you know an interesting thing about uh, going back to to doing the the lag for you know cat cat five e uh, to get to the you know to that that speed you know when you when you do that onto the switch port you know it's uh, the switch port the backplane is really just controlled by you know, certain async so sometimes according to your documentation uh, you can only do so many so many lags so many aggregations on a on a switch port and you actually have to to move your actual physical connection. So your other asyncs that control that backplane, which I ran into in my data center days, uh, you know, so, cause you can, you can actually run out. Yeah, you know, so that's another, you know, another idea of conversation saying, well, you know, I can stay with this cabling, but then I'm gonna have to, you know, do I now have to buy, you know, all new switches, you know, cause I can't, I can't, you know, lag as many as I, you know, could. So that's, you know, one of those, Jim, you talked about, you know, you start to cascade, right? <laughs> Yeah, it makes the project grow exponentially sometimes to get those high speed and support the, you know, POE needs. Cool. 
I think that about wraps it up, Kelsey. All right. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for everyone for being here, um, giving us 39 minutes out of your workday to dive into this topic. And, and thank you, Chris and Jim, for walking us through this and answering those questions. 